The reading is from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, page 1053, as it says on the notice sheet. Zacchaeus the tax collector, part two. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possession to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of God. So do uh, have a look on the back of the notice sheet. You'll see the sermon points. And uh, boys and girls, if you want to grab a pack from the back, then you can fill in the sheet as we go through. And you might find that helpful for helping you concentrate uh, on what we're doing. And I want to encourage you uh, for families, but others as well, if you're able to, over lunch, how about talking about what's been said? What were the points from the sermon? How can we apply this passage to our lives? Because as we read God's word, it's not merely about gaining information, is it? It's about then doing it and living it out. Uh, It should change the way we are. So can I encourage you to do that? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us as we look at this passage, as we see Jesus dealing with Zacchaeus. Father, please, would these words uh, not merely go into our ears and into our minds, but would they change our hearts and change our lives? Amen. So, in this sermon series, we're looking at times when different people met Jesus. And we are seeing a whole range of different people. Uh, We've seen the very religious Nicodemus. We've seen the demon-possessed man. And today we see Zacchaeus. A short man. Nothing wrong in that. And a wealthy man. And that's really the big thing, as, as Chris said. He was a wealthy man. And he's grown wealthy at the expense of others. Now we know, don't we, that those who are always after money are generally the baddies, aren't they? That's not a good thing. See on this next slide, whether you're thinking about Scrooge or Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob SquarePants, depending on which generation you're in, maybe, you know that if it's people who love money, who always want money. That is a bad way to be, isn't it? And yet we might think, well, 
We know that's true, but that's not us, is it? Or is it? Our first point this morning is money has tentacles. Now, boys and girls, you might think you look at a coin or a note, you think I've never noticed any tentacles on there. But the point is that money can grab hold. It's a bit like an octopus with its uh, legs that it, uh, and its suckers that it can grab hold of something and then wind its way round it and grab it and draw it in. So too money can do that to us. We might not think that we're greedy. We might not think that we love money. But actually it can grab hold of us. I gather... Um, I saw once on a cookery program or someone having food in a restaurant in the Far East that, where they were eating octopus and it was fresh octopus. They were eating the tentacles and they had to dip it in oil so that it didn't cling to their tongue as they ate it. You think, why do you go through that? But anyway, that, so even when it's been cut, the tentacles can still grab hold. Money has tentacles. And it can grab hold of us. Money had certainly grabbed hold of Zacchaeus. Now let's just think about Zacchaeus. He's described in verses 1 and 2. It says Jesus was entering Jericho and was going to pass through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So now that tells us not just that Zacchaeus had lots of money, but also how he got his money. He was a chief tax collector. Now the tax collectors worked for the Romans. You see, this was Israel. The people of Israel were occupied. There, there, there was another country who'd come in and had occupied Israel and that was the Romans. The Romans were in control. They were in charge and they demanded taxes from the people. They demanded money from people and they got some of the locals to come and collect those taxes. So they would get an Israelite to come and collect the taxes from the Israelites. And in this place, it was Zacchaeus. And therefore, Zacchaeus was hated because he worked for the Romans. He worked for the occupying forces. So he was a traitor. Everyone hated him. But more than that, not only did he work for the Romans, he was allowed to add money on to what people owed the Romans. So if the Romans said everyone should pay 10%, then they could add on an extra 5% maybe for themselves. And the Romans didn't mind that. They could go about doing that. They could add whatever they wanted on. So they could cheat people out of money. So doubly hated. Not only was Zacchaeus a traitor, he would cheat people out of their money. And people hated him for it. See, what makes someone prepared to turn their backs on their fellow countrymen? To be hated by friends, by family, to be rejected. What would do that? The answer is money. Here is a greedy man. And if we'd been there, we would have probably grumbled with the rest of the crowd that Jesus had gone to this sinner's house. But as we go through the Gospels, what we find is Jesus repeatedly warns people about greed. You see, he says 
earlier in Luke's Gospel. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Which suggests, doesn't it, if he's saying watch out, what do you need to say? When, why, why would someone say watch out to you? If you're driving along in your car, someone says watch out. Why? Well, they think you've not spotted something. Something really serious, really dangerous. Jesus is saying watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. You see, it isn't just the obvious people like Zacchaeus or Scrooge or Mr. Krabs. He's saying, watch out, this could get you. Money has tentacles. It could grab hold of you. And it can actually take God's place in our lives. It can become an idol, a thing we worship, something that is central to us. It can grab us and become so enwrapped around us that it becomes everything to us. I read somewhere, helpfully it said, when we have an idol, when there's something we worship, there are three things we do to it. We love it, we trust it, we serve it. How might we do that with money? If we love money, well the things you love are things that you will dream about, aren't they? Things that in an idle moment you will think about. Your mind just goes to it. Well, now, you're not likely to dream about actual money, notes or coins, or a bigger number in your bank account. You're not likely to dream about the actual notes, but you might dream about the kind of life you might have if you had a bit more money. Just a bit more. What would life be like? Maybe you dream about it. Not, maybe it's about the luxuries that you might be able to have, but actually maybe it's more about the stability that you might feel you would have. A less precarious life that you feel it, it would just be easier if I just had that bit more. And actually, uh, the world around us, things we watch on TV, encourage us to think like this, don't they? So we'll watch quiz shows where people win ridiculous sums of money. And what do we do when that person wins it? Or if they don't win it, we think, what would I have done? What would I do if I won that much money? What would life be like? We dream about it, don't we? We might love money and dream about it. So love the idol. Second, we might trust it. We trust idols. Now, this is a big one for us. That if we trust money, money becomes our security. It makes us feel like we are safe. And maybe we feel as long as we've got a certain amount of income or a certain amount in our bank accounts or in our savings, we feel, I'm secure, I'm safe. And we can see if we trust money by when actually it becomes at risk. I wonder whether you've felt that more recently with cost of living crisis, inflation going up, concerns about how we're going to pay uh, our energy bills. This winter, I I read or I heard yesterday someone saying on the radio that it could be next April that the average household price for for energy is going to up to about £6,000 in a year. You think, how, how do we afford that? Maybe some are feeling, I don't know that I've got that money. Maybe others are feeling, well, then I'm going to have to dip into saving. I'm going to have to actually use some savings. And, well, of course, we'd be concerned about that. But 
maybe it reveals to us something deeper. Maybe we're actually trusting in the money. And therefore, when it comes under threat, it's not just a a concern, it's a major worry. It keeps us awake at night. Because money is not just a thing we use, it's our security. Could that be you? We can feel secure if we have money. We can trust it. Our idols, we love them, we trust them, and then we serve them. Now, you might think that sounds like an odd idea, to serve money, but it is something we do. We tend to think we master money, we use it, but actually it can master us, and we can end up serving it. After all... Our idols will demand things from us. They will make us sacrifice things so that we get them. Let me give an example. Now, I think this quote is Gene Hackman, the actor, famous actor. Um, I couldn't verify it. Yes, I was trying to find out on the internet, trying to see the quote. I was trying to get it. I must have got it from somewhere. So it's a famous person. I think it's Gene Hackman. Okay. And he said this. 20 years ago, all I wanted was to be rich and a star. I was prepared to sacrifice everything for that. Now I've made it. And what do I find? I've got all I ever wanted and lost all I ever valued. Do you see, in order to get the money, in order to get the fame, he had to sacrifice all he ever valued. Money, you see, can get a hold on us such that we want it so much we will sacrifice other things. And don't we see that in people around us? That they will sacrifice time with spouse, family, friends in order to be at work more, to gain more, to get the promotion so that they can have more. And if you ask them, they will probably say, oh, I'm doing it for my family But actually, sometimes that can just be an excuse, can't it? And very often, actually, if you ask the family, they would say, well, we we don't want mum or dad away to earn more money. We'd want them around. Of course, having a job and earning money is important, but it can take over. So we all need to be on guard, don't we? Does this ring home true with you at all? that we can love money, we can trust it, we can serve it. Any of those ringing home? Resonating with you? If they do a little bit, be on your guard. Watch out. Money has tentacles. It can grab hold of us. So be warned. We all need to be warned. I need to be warned. Second, Jesus invites himself in. Uh, This is a lovely moment. This is a wonderful bit, isn't it? So you've got uh, Zacchaeus. Uh, He's in Jericho, and he's obviously intrigued by Jesus, wants to see Jesus as he walks through Jericho. But being a short man, he, and being hated, as Chris says, he can't get to the front of the crowd. So uh, what's he going to do? Well, we know, don't we? He goes on ahead, finds a sycamore fig tree and climbs it and is there so that in ready for when Jesus walks past so that he can see this man. Now, there's no indication here that Zacchaeus particularly wanted Jesus to come into his life. He just wanted to see Jesus. 
And Jesus comes along with the crowd buzzing around him, comes along to where the sycamore fig tree is, and it says, doesn't it, he stopped and looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Isn't that a lovely moment? Jesus going through Jericho and all these people. But he stops at that tree, sees Zacchaeus and says, I must come to your... Notice I must. Not Zacchaeus, may I. Zacchaeus, I must come to your house. Well, that's quite a moment. And it's a particularly significant moment because when we remember who Zacchaeus is. You see, when, even though we know this story, and even though we know other stories about Jesus, I think we're not quite ready for Jesus to go to this man's house. Because we probably think, well, yeah, Jesus hung around with, well, with the unfortunate, didn't he? And the marginalised, people other people hated, yeah, sure, but with the sick, with the lame, with prostitutes and sinners, yes, but probably because, well, they were in an unfortunate situation. And, uh, well, yeah, they, you know, it kind of life had been bad for them, so that's why they're in their situation. The unfortunate, the victims. Yeah, Jesus, surely he goes to them. But this man is not unfortunate. He is not a victim. He has chosen this way of life. He has chosen to cheat people out of money. He is a hated person. He's like the hoax phone callers. You know, the people who phone you up to try to get your PIN number, to try to steal your money. He is that kind of person. He is hated. He has chosen this way of life. And Jesus says, I must come to your house today. Why? Well, Jesus says at the end, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Which helps us to understand better, doesn't it, who the lost are. We tend to think of the lost, that's the unfortunate, isn't it? The victims, the, the people who've, yeah, they've, they've lost their way. It's not their fault. Well, it is them, but it's also the mean, the nasty. And Jesus says, I've got to go to your house today, which teaches us an important lesson, doesn't it? That Jesus doesn't say, Zacchaeus, if you sort yourself out, I will come to your house. No, you don't have to sort your life out before you come to Jesus, or before Jesus comes to you, rather. You don't have to get your love of money sorted out first, or your addictions, or your relationships sorted out. Jesus moves in, into the mess, the badness, and the wrong in our lives to change us and to turn us round. Now, of course, don't assume that Jesus therefore approved of what Zacchaeus did. 
Uh, people might have assumed that. I think that's why they grumble about the fact he's gone to the house of Z- Zacchaeus, the sinner, because, well, in, in those days, to go to someone's house sort of suggested that you accepted them, that you were friends with them. But don't assume that Jesus therefore approved of what he did. Oh, Jesus will accept any, will come into anyone's life. But he comes in to change every life he comes into. Everyone whose life he comes into needs to be changed because all of our lives are sinful lives. We're all lost. We're all a mess. And he says to Zacchaeus, I must come to your house. And he says the same to us too. Because all of us without Jesus are lost, as lost as Zacchaeus. And though we often say to people, you need to invite Jesus into your life, very often it feels more like Jesus is moving in. And he is changing the wallpaper and the furniture and everything about the house. Because that's what he does in his goodness and in his love. So Jesus invites himself in. And then third, and this is a longer point, so it might take you a bit longer, boys and girls, to write this one down. As Jesus moves in, money loses its grip on you and you lose your grip on it. Verses seven and eight, have a look at them. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has, he has gone to the, be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, that is an incredible turnaround. Okay, Zacchaeus now is saying, I will give away half of my possessions. Can you imagine what that would be like? If you were to give away half of your possessions, half your money, half of what you've got, everything that you have. He says, I'll give away 50%. Now, that is way more than the Old Testament law prescribed. The the Old Testament law said, I mean, you know, you've got to add different bits together. But, I mean, 10% was a figure. Well, this is 50%. He's saying, I'm going to give it away, half of what I've got. And on top of that, he says, if I've cheated anyone out of anything... Well, he has lots of people out of lots of things. He says, I'll give back four times what he owes. Now, I think in, in the Old Testament, if you go to Exodus 22, for instance, um, that would suggest that someone who's stolen money should give back um, what, they, what they stole and the same again. So double they give back. Uh, this, this is four times. It's a huge amount more. Now, do you see something has happened in Zacchaeus' heart? This isn't someone who's just been reluctantly caught cheating. You know, it's not like, you know, as if Jesus says, now, come on, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus goes, all right, suppose I better give it back. It's not that kind of feel, is it? Because that would be, okay, I'll give it back and I'll give a bit more. This is not that, is it? it it's a heart which, where the tentacles have gone. It, it's been set free. It, it's loosened up. It, and he's now just going, I want to give. I want this money. I've got so much. I can give it all. I'll give 50%. I'll give four times as much. It's, it's, a, it's a real enthusiasm to want to give money away, isn't it? And so when Jesus says in verse 9, 
today salvation has come to this house. He's not saying, Zacchaeus, because you're giving this money away, you're saved. He's saying, look, this is, this is someone who's been saved. This is what they look like. This person has been saved. And you can see it in the way he deals with his money now, that he's been set free. See, what is this change? How has money no longer got its grip on Zacchaeus? How can he happily give it away? Well, you see, when something has gripped your heart, when something is your idol, when you love it, serve it, uh, trust it, serve it, the only way to get rid of that idol is for something to come in and take its place, for something to be more gripping for you. Um, Thomas Chalmers, who was a Puritan, I'm sure boys and girls, you know all about him, um, uh, wrote a book with the title, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection, which is a grand way of saying the way to deal with something that's gripped your heart is to find something even more exciting and even more gripping. We know children, you know what, you might know what this is like. Adults, you know what this is like with children, that sometimes children get an obsession about something, you know, Harry Potter or, 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 or something else, and they, they really drill into that. They go into that in a big way, and, you know, everything is about that. You can't stop them talking about it. They dress up as a character, you know, they love it, whatever it is. Let's say it's Harry Potter. And you can, you can be fooled by this, because... Um, you, you then go, right, I'll, I know what to get them for a birthday. I'll get them, you know, it's the Harry Potter something, tickets to go to Harry Potter World. And you, and you get something and you think, they're going to love this. And then you go along and you find that that child is, they're not wearing the outfit anymore. They seem to be wearing a Chelsea football strip. And you notice that there's nothing Harry Potter in the house anymore. There's just Chelsea football team stuff. And you give the present and they go, hmm. You go, no, this was, you were supposed to, this was, what is it now? It's Chelsea. Why? Because that's become, I'm not a big Chelsea fan, but that's not why I picked it. But that, you know, because something else has gripped their hearts. They love that thing more now. And so the other thing has gone, the Harry Potter stuff has gone. How is it that Zacchaeus is able to give all this money away? Because something else has gripped him. What has gripped him? It's Jesus, isn't it? He can see in Jesus something more delightful, more wonderful than money. And now he loves Jesus. And he trusts Jesus and he wants to serve Jesus. And that's what it is to be a Christian, isn't it? That we love Jesus, we trust him, we serve him. And therefore other things lose their grip. And I know that there are people in this church, right? there are many in this church family who are like this. Because I know when we ask for money for things, there are people who just give so generously. Now, I don't know what everyone gives. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what you give. Now, that is a deliberate thing. I don't know what each individual person gives. But I know when we do an appeal for things, people give incredibly generously. And I'm, I'm blown away. I hope you are too. 
that when we raised money, for instance, for the building, we you know, needed to raise 70,000, and people gave so generously. I mean, you think that's a huge amount of money, and yet people give so generously. And year on year, when we have our mission gift day, I'm stunned year by year by the amount of money people give. Now, of course, it's not just about when people can give huge amounts, because it might be that you've only been able to give a small amount, but that that was really generous for you. And I, I want to say thank you. And, and to say that that is wonderful, that Jesus has opened your heart and that, that you've been able to give in that kind of way. Now, okay, as a minor aside, this then does impact the way that we go about when we need to raise money for things as a church. Uh, you see, if you've got a church family where everyone is gripped by money and money is their idol and they, you know, it's got their tentacles around everyone, you've got to prize money away from people. You've got to think of tactics of ways to raise money, haven't you? You've got to do the fairs and you know, do all kinds of clever ways to try to say, hey, come on, let's prize some money out of you so that we can do something. But actually, if people are freed from the grip of money... What do you need to do? Well, you don't need those kind of tactics. All you need to do is say to people, here's a need, and people will give, and people do. And I, I, I just think it's wonderful as a church family that there are so many who are like that. See, when Jesus moves in, as he gets a grip on us, as we're delighted by him, so money loses its grip on us and therefore we lose our grip on it and we stop asking how much do I need to give and we start asking how much can I give there's an excitement there which like I say doesn't necessarily mean it's huge sums of money and some might feel you know what I just don't have money to give it's just not there I'd love to, but I can't. And yet, even there you go, yeah, money has still lost its grip, hasn't it? That, that you go, I still want to be able to do this, even at times when I can't. And therefore, the application of this sermon isn't give more. That's not the, the application, is it? But rather to ask, what is it that has a hold on your heart? And for me, for my heart, is it money? Do we love it? Watch out, be on your guard, it can get its tentacles on you. Or is it Jesus? Is he the most delightful thing in your heart? And if you want to change from one to the other, just find out more about Jesus. Look at him more. Meet with him in his word.